0: Can you just say after me, say, my heart is ready to receive the word of God. I take away every distraction. I take away every thought. I take away everything that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. And I submit myself to the word of God. Say, I submit myself to the word of God. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah thanking god for the opportunity again to speak to us on a sunday uh just as we started last week we began a teaching and we started the teaching on living as spirituals we started teaching on living as spirituals and um, we're going to continue on that same teaching on that same line of scriptures and we are going to build on it so quickly we just i'm going to do a quick summary of what we did last week and after that i'm going to build on on it so what did we say spiritual was last week what was the first thing that we identified spiritual to be can we echo it together an identity so we say spiritual is an identity and we'll give the scriptures first corinthians three verse one and we also move ahead with a spiritual is actually the things pertaining to the spirit of God. And we give 1 Corinthians 2, chapter 2, verse 12 as the reference point. We also say spiritual is also what? Gifts, right? Gifts. And we'll make emphasis on Romans chapter 1, verse 11, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 1. And we'll say that Romans, ah, we we'll say spiritual is actually a gift. Also, we move ahead and we say uh, it's also spiritual, it's also things that pertain to the impacts of the law. That the law has what's a spiritual impact. So the law is spiritual. And at the end of it, we crowned it up by saying that spiritual, that identity has a physical impact. Right. We say that's that identity that you have, have as a physical impact. And then everyone, if anyone says that the impact of my belief only stays in my heart and cannot be seen and it doesn't matter. I said that the person is saying the wrong thing because the impact of the faith is seen in the way we live our lives. And that brings us, you know, back to the topic again, living as spirituals, to live as someone who is spiritual. So say God, who is the spirit? Chosen that a spirit will be in man, will be found in man. Therefore, man will be found in the image of God. And we'll talk about Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 to 27. So we also built on that and said the verse 28 that begins to say, be fruitful and multiply would mean that we are to bring forth people in the image of God. And I said that the first idea of conception or to reproduce oneself is actually found in God. So this is where we were last week. And I think the part that I used to justify that from scriptures is to say that from Adam, God was expecting Adam to do this. However, because of the fall of Adam, God reiterated the same thing to Abraham and said, be fruitful and multiply. And in the course of that, at the end, he reiterated it to Jesus. And we see Jesus bringing many sons to glory. So, that is a summary of what we did. So, and we look and continue about the fact that this can be done through preaching. First of all, to those who you are being given birth to, having the responsibility towards them and towards others that you meet. You multiply the image of God every day through the preaching of the gospel. So, we conclude by saying, therefore, spiritual comes words first, right? The spiritual comes first. So the main focus of the teaching is to say that the spiritual comes first in everything you do, right? Because that will put things in order. So spiritual comes first before the physical. So spiritual has an impact on the physical, so this is how we should live. Right? We we live from the inside out. We live from the spirit into the physical realm. So it means that whatever I do in the physical realm, right, in my day to day life that people can notice should be something that is found in the spiritual. Do we get it? Something that is found in my identity. Something that is found in things pertaining to the spirit of God. Something that is found as a gift in God. Hallelujah. So in that order, that is how we are going to live. We are going to live here. So the reason why uh, people struggle with a whole lot of things today or why there's a lot of arguments about the way we should live today in today's world is because most people from their physical experiences they also want to dictate how people should physically live do you get that so when we talk about relationship we talk about family we talk about society we talk about community Right. We talk about education. People want to explain that or those aspects of life from the physical experience. So somebody will say, oh, how should I treat? How should I conduct myself in my relationship? Oh, have you not read this book. You know, this is the way people behave and like that and like that. And another person brings a lot of experiences. And I said, if you bring a whole lot of experiences, we have about seven to eight thousand billion experiences. And we can build our life in such a chaos. So today, uh, the first thing i like to do is to go to the scripture that tries to say that the physical comes first. I gave us a scripture last week. So that when you're reading in the future, you come across the scripture, you won't say, oh, Simone thought the wrong thing. Or what we thought is, or you become confused and say, ah, someone had told me that the spiritual comes first. Why am I saying the natural? So let's go to 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15. And we just go there quickly, and I'm just going to explain quickly and move on. So 1 Corinthians 15. Can we go to verse 46? Can we just go to verse 46? So verse 46 says something. It says, but it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural. Then comes words, the spiritual. Right, can we see that? See, however, the spiritual is not the first. No, go back, please. 46. Go back to your previous translation. I'm fine. Don't give me an IV today. So, however, the spiritual is not the first, but the natural, and afterward, the spiritual. So, this seems to be like a contradiction to what I've thought, right? So, we need to pay attention. These are the only parts that say such a thing in the scripture. So, we need to pay attention to this. Now, we're going to study. First Corinthians fifteen, briefly, within five minutes. So let's go to verse one of First Corinthians chapter fifteen. Let's go to verse one. So now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preach to you, unless I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. For I deliver unto you as first importance after what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scripture, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelfth. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some are falling asleep. Then he appeared to James and then to all the apostles. Last of all, as one, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. Right, he appeared also to me. So Paul was talking about that. If we jump to verse eleven, which is 10 in verse eleven, he said, "Whether then it was I or they, so we preached, and you believe." So Paul is definitely writing to who? Believers, right? He said, "I preach. Whether it's I who preach to you or someone else who preach to you, if you're in this church you have believed, he's writing to believers." So that is. Okay. Now, it begins to say, verse 12. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? So, it means that within this church, a number of people were saying, oh, we are not going to be raised up. We are just going to die. And that's the end of ours. Yes, we have believed. And they began to argue about this thing and talk about this thing. So, Paul needed to address this case. That is the background of this chapter 15. Talking to believers who have a misconception about the resurrection, doubting if the resurrection would take place. And Paul began to teach them. Now, let's go to verse 20. Let's go to verse 20 of the same chapter. He said, But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep, for, for as by a man death came, by a man has also come, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead, for as in Adam all died, so also in Christ shall all be made alive, but each in its order, Christ the first firstfruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. So, the evidence that Paul is giving for resurrection here is Christ. The resurrection of what? Of Christ. Okay? It's talking about the resurrection of Jesus and say so if if Jesus resurrected, right? We are also going to be raised up. Now I just want to quickly clarify something. That this verse because it was talking to believers, right? It was talking to believers. This verse 20 is not the same Not exactly the same as the context in which it was used in Romans. So let's go to Romans. Let's go to Romans chapter 5. Let's go to Romans chapter 5. I'm trying to build something up so that we can understand. So Romans chapter 5 says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and that through sin, And so that spread to all men because all sinned, for sin indeed was in the world before, for sin was indeed in the world before the law was given. But sin is not counted where there is what? No law. Okay, so we want to see what is the interpretation of the scripture. So this context, in the context of Romans, is equating the result of death, right? It's equating death to be the result of sin. Are we together? So please, let's, let's pay attention and read again. It said, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin. So a man sinned, and as a result of the sin of that man, death came, and all died. That is what we see in Romans, right? But when you come to 1 Corinthians 15, 20, the reason why it is not exactly the same interpretation that we're going to give, is because of the context of what has taken place. Because it's talking to believers, so the issue of sin has been dealt with. Do we get it? Because it's talking to believers here, we know that a believer who has believed, the issue of sin has been dealt with. So the debt that is talking here is not exactly spiritual debt, it's not a debt that comes. Uh, as a, it's not a spiritual death, I think I'm going to put it that way, but another form of death, actually. And I'm going to show you why that is another form of death. So he said, but in fact, Christ has been raised, and the first fruit of those who have fallen asleep, for by as a man came death, by a man also came resurrection of the dead. Because he was talking to believers, he's not talking about their spiritual state as death here. But because he wants to prove about resurrection, Right? This death here signifies physical death. You're going to see it. Because in the conclusion, he said it in conclusion. So we're going to see it. So this death here is actually talking about physical death. That because physical death came by man, right? Because he's talking to believers, it needed not to begin to explain the issue of sin again. So it says because physical death came from man, resurrection also would also come through a man. So, skip the issue of sin because we're talking to believers. How do we know that? All right, let's go to verse 42. Let's go to verse 42. Of the same place, of the same chapter. So, so is it with resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. What is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. What is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. What is sown in the natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus, it is written: the first man Adam became a living being, as the last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual first, but that which is natural, then the spiritual. Then the first man was from the earth, a dust, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven, and was is from heaven, as was the man of dust so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of the heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have been, just as we have born the image, this is it, just as we have born the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. So if you pick those things, you cannot pick uh, imperishable, dishonor, weakness, natural. You cannot pick them uh separately you have to gather them together so let's look at that verse so what is the what's the first thing there in verse two the first one is perishable right perishable so only pick the first thing. don't pick the second thing first so perishable in verse 43 what is it called dishonor right we can talk dishonor in verse 44 what did he call it the natural body in verse 45 what did he call it living being right so, if you bring all of this together, this is the image of the man, right? Just as you are born, the image of the man that is out of dust. What is that image in, with regards to a believer? Because he's talking to a believer. That image is this body. Do we get it? Because Paul will be contradicting to say that we have the image of Adam as regards to sin. And we also have the image of God. Do we get it? So Paul will be contradicting himself to say, we have the identity of God after teaching all the things in Corinthians. And now here he's saying that we have the image of that man. So what he's referring to there is our body that is perishable, that is weak, that is natural, that will go down and be raised a spiritual body. Do we get it? So Paul is not teaching a way of living for believers, right? He's not teaching a way of living. He's actually telling them what is going to happen to this body because the argument is that we will be raised, and Paul says, yes, we'll be raised, but not with this body. So you have born, first of all, this body, right? But there's a spiritual body that will come at resurrection. Do we get it? So, why is this not a contradiction? Because this is talking about the experience of a believer in regards to resurrection. Second, is also talking about a period of a fall, right? A result of a fall, which is the body. So, the body can die because of the fall of man. Do we get it? So, the fall of the man and God's decision. Let me ask us a question now. So the fall of man and God's decision to make man to be found in his image. Which one comes first? I'm going to re- I'm going say it again. The fall of man and God's decision to make man to be found in his image. Which one comes first? God's decision, right? So God's decision came before the fall of man. So he tells you the spiritual still comes first. Do we get it? So Paul just said the issue of sin has been dealt with, and he began to teach from the issue regarding this body. So it's not a contradiction. So it's talking about this body and what we are going to experience. And it's just using that as a justification. So still, the spiritual does what comes first. It's only saying that the body that we are going to see, now you see your physical body, what you're going to see next is the spiritual body. Glory to God. All right, so we, we quickly cleared that and we can proceed. So what do I want to really teach today is actually... The spiritual in another context. Can we go to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 19? That scripture that we read. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 19. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 19. So you say, And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who have believed according to the workings of his great might that he walked in Christ? When he did what? He raised him from the dead. Okay? So when Christ was raised from the dead, some things took place. Some things took place. One of the things that took place when Christ was raised from the dead is that God established an order. You should write it down. That one of the things that took place when Christ was raised from the dead was that God established an order for this earth. Because now, God will begin to live in men. God will begin to live in those who have believed. So God established an order. Let's see. From verse 21 of Ephesians chapter 1. It's a far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. And above all the name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to so the church which is the body, the fullness of him who fits all in all. So the order at resurrection, right, is that Christ will be the head of the church. So if you're thinking about God's people on earth, you should know that the resurrection gave Christ the authority to lead a race, a people that are called out. I say it again. The resurrection gives Christ the authority to lead a people that are called out, and that is the church. Second Corinthians five 2 Corinthians five seventeen. Very popular scriptures. It says, "Therefore, if any man is in Christ, is a new creation. The old is passed away; behold, the new has come." The new is what has come. So it's a new race, a new people that have not been found before, but that have believed. And they are being led by Christ. Hallelujah. They are being led by who? By Christ. So, all God's creation who are found in the image of God, they are being led by Christ. Now let's... Let's go to Exodus 13 and 2. Exodus 13 and 2. Let me show you something. That the idea of first fruits and firstborn was only a picture of what Christ would do. Exodus 13. Exodus 13 verse 2. It said, the Lord said to Moses, consecrate to me all the firstborns. Whatever is the first to open the womb among the people of Israel, both man and of beast, is mine. So God began to say, everything that is firstborn, first fruit, it belongs to me. When we go to Exodus 22, the same thing was reiterated in Exodus 22. Exodus 22 verse 29. It said, Exodus 22 verse 29. It said, you shall not delay to offer me from the fullness of your harvest, from the outflow of your presses, the firstborn you shall give to me. You shall do the same with your oxen and with your sheep. Seven days it shall be with its mother; on the eighth day you shall give it towards to me. So the concept of first fruit. This is the way Israel practices, right? This is the way Israel practices first fruits, firstborn, first everything. Well, how does the epistle? Who does the epistle cause the first fruits? Go back to First Corinthians fifteen, the place we read today. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 20. It said, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruit of those who have fallen asleep. For by as one man death came, by a man also the resurrection of the dead. So here we are seeing in the epistles that Christ is called the first fruit. The same thing you will find, I think, in Colossians, we have that same reiteration calling christ to be the firstborn among the dead hallelujah so we have this reiteration colossians 1 17 uh, 17 and 18 i hope that is scriptures yes 17 and 18. he said and he is before all things and in him all things hold together and is the head of the body the church he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. This is God's order. So, the idea of first and firstborn, right, in fact, is not even new. God has asked many people about, I mean, Abraham in the, in the same context, to bring the first that he has, to bring the only begotten in, in his own context. So it means that this consecration of everything that is first, everything that is opening the womb, opening the ground, is actually a picture of what Christ will do. So it says that when you have your first fruit, you take it out. So many other, right, many other, let's say there's a crown that we we plant here, and the first one that comes out, we cut it out, and we say we give this to the Lord. Many others comes after it, right? Many others come after it. So when you give birth to a child, you give the first one, you dedicate the first one to the Lord, many other children come after it, right? It has been taught that when you give, many others will come. It's actually correct, but it's only correct in the context of Christ. Because in the context of Christ, the Bible says he sacrificed himself for the church. So that many sons will come into what? Into glory. So those things are pictures, typologies. Of what God had intended to do. And because Israel is hard-earned, they had to give Israel patterns to always follow. Patterns to see. So that at the end of it, they will know that Christ, oh, he was talking about Christ. When we dedicate our first fruit. we're actually pointing to the one who is to come in the flesh. Hallelujah. So God's order, Christ is the first and the head of the church. Now let's go to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. What I just want to teach today is God's order in regards to living as spirituals. Ephesians chapter 4. Verse 11. Oh, wait. Okay, can can we go to 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 to 15? 1 Timothy, let's go to 1 Timothy first. 1 Timothy, verse 1, chapter 1, rather. Sorry, First Timothy 3 from verse 1. I'll read from verse 14 if you can skip there. Because so we don't have more time. So verse 14 of 1 Timothy 3, verse 14 says, I hope to come to you soon, but I'm writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how to behave in the house of God, which is the living in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress. Of the truth, great indeed we confess is the mystery of godliness that it was made manifest in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by the angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, and taken up to glory. Now this conclusion is actually a conclusion after Paul had written to Timothy to talk about how church leaders, team leaders, overseers, deacons, how they should behave in the church. Do we get it? So. Paul was concluding and saying that I'm writing these things to you to tell you how you should behave, how there should be order in church. And that this church is his words, is the buttress of truth. The church of the living God is the pillar and the buttress of God's truth. So, what does it mean? It means it means that the church is above all the leaders of the church did you get what i said the church is above the leaders of the church this is what i'm saying so christ and the church first that is the order not christ and the apostles first we're gonna see that also because christ said i gave myself to the church to a people we're going to come to the point on the role of the apostles and those there. So it means that one man cannot be the church. Are we together? One man cannot rule over the church. One man cannot decide for the church. Do we get what we're saying? Church leadership, there is church leadership. There's a place where we're going to talk about that. But I'm just trying to build up something that is order and spiritual. Because that same order, the, the, the Christ and relationship of the church was pointed out subsequently. So the Paul's instructions to the leaders, he told them that the church is above all. The church is the foundation, is the pillar itself. So no one man is the church. So we all grow, right? We can grow into leadership in the body of Christ. We must remind ourselves as we grow into leadership in the body of Christ. We must remind ourselves that I'm not greater than the church. As you grow into leadership in the body of Christ, you must remind yourself that you ought also to behave yourself accordingly. Because the church is the pillar and the buttress of God's truth. So when you get to a place and the whole thing is about not a church but a person, then you should question the place. Because it's about the church. So as we grow into leadership, as we take responsibilities, as we participate in the body of Christ, we must always remind ourselves that the church is the one that Christ gave himself to. And that the church is not for one man. Hallelujah. So we must conduct ourselves in, man- in a manner that honors the church. We must conduct ourselves in a manner that honors the church. So we can go to Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 4 now. And just quickly read that Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 4. Do I want to read that first? Ephesians chapter 5. Let's go to chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15 and 21. Sorry. Look carefully then to yourself how you walk not as unwise but as wise making the best use of the time because the days are evil therefore do not be foolish but understand that the will understand what the will of god is and do not get drunk with wine for that is the poetry but be filled with the spirit addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs singing and making melodies to the lord with your heart giving thanks always and for everything to god the father in the name of our lord jesus christ submitting one another out of reverence for who? For Christ. So in the church, what we do is we submit to one another. And that is a picture of a reverence to the one who is the head of the church. Do we get it? So as leaders, as people who are in church, we submit to one another. That is the order. So I think Pastor, Pastor Victor has taught this, Pastor Costin also made mention of this, that it is impossible that you want to learn submission and you are not learning it in church and you want to learn it maybe in marriage or something like that so the first place to learn submission actually and the understanding of submission is found in god in god's order the relationship between the church and christ and we see as a submitting to one another so if i if i want to submit if i want to show that i'm submitted to god and I'm submitted to Christ, it means that I have to submit to the church. Do we get it? So a way to say that, oh, I'm submitted to Christ, is to submit to the church. That is God's order for this earth. For the people who he has called out. So if you find yourself struggling to submit to the church, then there's a problem. It means you're not submitting to Christ. So when I submit to the church, I submit to Christ now i know most of you are thinking oh there are a lot of things that has happened in the church i've had experience in the church my pastor has hurt me in fact a brother did this to me a sister did this to me and all of that that does not nullify the order of god so first thing we must first get that right so because there is a problem in the church. Does not nullify the order of Christ. Does not nullify the order of God. So it means that we must bring ourselves back to the place where we begin to submit ourselves as reverence to Christ, because the problem is that we don't submit to each other as reverence to Christ. People want to dominate. People want to rule over people. People want to do all sort of things that are not in reverence to Christ. So it means that whatever you do within the body of Christ that is not a reverence to Christ is what is causing the problem that we have in the body of Christ. So it also means that when something is happening in the church all around the world and you join the bad wagon of going to castigate the church, you are fighting against God's order. It's like you're putting yourself against God. So it is not our duty as believers to join the bandwagon of stoning the church. No, it's not your duty. Oh, because there's social media now, everybody can post anything, everybody can say anything, everybody has become correctors, have become instructors, they've become teachers, and they can give opinion. The first thing when you see something happening in the church, you should first ask, you should, What the first thing that should come to your mind is that, Although there's a problem, but this is still the order of God. You know how many problems have been in church? Before you were born, there were problems in church. When you go, there will be problems in church. There will be challenges. When I mean challenges, I mean issues between human relations. First Corinthians, Church of Corinthians, was there not a problem? So, why should it be the problem in church that is making you so you're not going to church again? Or the problem in church that's making you say, forget church. It's like saying forget God's order. Forget the family. Forget the race that people are called out. That's what you do. When when something happens in church, we stay in church. We solve it. We remain there. We proceed. That problem is going to be solved. Let me tell you. It's going to be solved and we proceed. So that is, is because it is God's order. And you can't fight it. Do we get it? The church is God's order. And no man can do what can fight it. First Corinthians um, Ephesians 4. Now let's see how the church should be. The problems in church should be solved. First Corinthians 11. 4.11, sorry. It said, he gave the apostles the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body until we attain the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God and to mature manhood. So this is the connection. Christ gave himself to the church, right? And Christ gave some people in the church to be leaders of the church. Do we get it? So that is God's order. The Christ, church, the apostles. And when there's anything to be talked about, even in the, in the first early churches, we see that the leader of the church is the one that comes to speak. Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, verse 11. I don't know if Acts chapter 2, verse 11, but Acts chapter 2, verse 14. Acts chapter 2, verse 14. It said, But Peter standing with 11 lifted up his voice and addressed them. So it means that when there's a problem in church, there is a leadership. Do we get it? There is a leadership that will address that issue. As a follower, your duty is to pray for the church, your duty is to watch your leader and see how they conduct themselves. Because there's a leadership in the church. So Paul here, or Peter here, standing with the 11. Right? So they're talking about Peter leading the apostles. Now I can tell you that there are many other believers here. There are many other believers standing there with them. But to identify leadership. And to see how matters are being addressed in the church. It is done by the leadership. So we submit to the church we also submit to the leadership of the church hallelujah so how does this relate to what we want to teach today so we just i've started teaching already i'm saying what i want to teach uh let's go to Ephesians 4 Ephesians 5 Ephesians chapter 5 from verse 22 now so wife, submit to your husband as to the Lord. For the husband is head of the wife, even as, sorry, for the husband is head of the wife, yes, even as Christ is head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husband loves the wife as Christ loved the church and gave, him, gave himself up for her, that he might stand the fire, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the, with the word. So that he might present the church himself in splendor without sports or wrinkle or any such thing. That she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself for no one had ever hated his own flesh. But nourishes it, cherishes it just as Christ does the church. Because as we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one. This is this mystery is profound and I'm saying this that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each of you love his own wife as themselves and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So, Pastor Victor has, has given us a good explanation of this before, but we're going to build on it again. So what it means is that The spiritual relationship, right, between Christ and the church, okay? The spiritual relationship between Christ and the church is being painted in the picture of the husband and the wife. That is a physical one. I'm saying it again. The spiritual relationship that we see between Christ and the church is being painted in words in marriage between the husband and the wife. How do we see that? It's a wife, submit to yourself just as, right? Submit to your husband just as Christ is the head of the church. So I'm going to read that again. Wife, submit to your own husband as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the Lord, even as Christ is the head of the church. So he's teaching something, right? Emphasizing Christ as the head of the church. And he's using the picture of marriage to say that this is what it really means. He said, I'm actually talking about Christ and the church. But nevertheless, in your physical manifestation in marriage, you should do what? You should paint that picture. Hallelujah. So what, is, what, is, what do we see here that Christ is doing to the church? Right? The church submits to Christ and Christ gave himself to the church. So let's see from verse 26. 25 says, Husband, love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. So Christ gave himself to the church. So it means that there's a submission in that place. It It said that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water and the word. So we see the duty of Christ to the church there. So Christ is, is cleansing his church, is taking care of his church, is nurturing his church, is cherishing his church. So when problems happen, you should not be the one saying the wrong things against the church. So the duty of Christ is to, not, to, to nurture the church, to cherish the church, to make the church without blemish, to present the church perfect, So the care and the love that we found in marriage must be exactly the same thing that is taking place between who? Christ and the church. So I come again. The care and the love that we found in marriage must be defined by that which takes place between Christ and the church. So it means that if I'm desiring if if to get married, I should not look for anything, care, and love that cannot be found in the relationship between Christ and the church. Do we get it? So if you're desiring marriage, you should question your definition of love. You should question your definition of care. When you demand things or you have expectation of things that you want to take place in your marriage, You should question, is this really taking place between Christ and the church? That is actually living from the spiritual perspective into the physical. Do we get it? So, I just want to begin to ask some few questions. So, can we then say that it is worth thinking about if the person I want to marry can actually Join me in painting the picture of Christ and the church. Or let me say it another way. The person you are intending to get married or the fact that you want to go into a relationship or you want to go into marriage is the purpose to paint the relationship that we see in Christ and the church. So can you think about that? Of course, many of us desire to go into a relationship. We desire to go into, you know, marriage is the goal to reflect christ is the goal to reflect christ and the church also see how can the person whom i'm intending to marry stand this picture without being in church some of us we are so attracted to people who are out of church people who don't understand god's order you crush on somebody who does not carry the holy Ghost. Cry- crushing on what sand. Someone who cannot join you to say, "Let's, you know, brothers, let me give you a new lines, sister, sister. I've been seeing you in church. You know, you have been doing what? Can you join me? Let's paint the picture of Christ and the church. <laughs> so, you know, you said so there's a picture I want to paint. Can, can we? Can you join me? Can we paint this picture together? And if the person says that you are well ready, so why not? Throughout our lives, we'll be painting the picture of Christ and the church. Hallelujah. That is what marriage should be. So the question is, we are living from the spiritual into the physical. We are seeing something taking place in the spiritual and we are replicating it in the physical. Another question, how can the person understand the sacrifice, the giving of Christ, the submission in church, the reverence from church, when the person does not have an identity with Christ. There's no way someone will understand the submission that takes place within Christ and the church if the person does not have an identity. It means that you want to understand something that you are not inside. You have to come inside the church to see, to learn, to be taught. Then... You can understand it. So if you are waiting for somebody, oh, I want him to give me all his whole. All his whole. He has not given all his whole to church. He has not lent it in church. It is impossible. He cannot give you a quarter of his whole. Are we getting it? So, it means that when it comes to sacrifice, you must see the sacrifice of Christ to the church. When it comes to giving, we must see how Christ gave himself to the church. When it comes to submission, we must see how the church submits to Christ. Hallelujah. So this is God's order. This is what? This is God's order. Now, and someone is saying, oh, me, I, I, maybe you're, you're thinking in your mind that you, you, you don't, in fact, you don't even have feelings, you don't crush, you want to be single, you want to live your life, you know, so people can quickly, when you're teaching something like me, I'm, I'm not, I'm not that, I'm not getting married. I'm sure there's nobody here. Is anybody here? Who wants to stay alone? Raise your hand if you want to stay alone so I can face you and teach you directly. All right, nobody. Hallelujah. Praise God. Now, your reverence to Christ as a single person, right? Your reverence to Christ as a single person is your reverence to the church. Okay? Your reverence, so your own duty is to always submit to the church. Let me tell you, I will tell you some some tips and tricks that we used to use to evaluate people. Some of you people will come and meet us and they say they want to marry you. And what we used to judge, if you're ready, is actually your submission to the body of Christ. I'm telling you the truth. It's not your makeup. It's not your hairline. It's not your... What, I don't even know. And some people like, hey, everything should be full. It helps me. It's not even... You're attending this church every Sunday. I tell you, you attend this church every Sunday does not mean that we can say that you can paint that picture. It is in the practice that we find you in church. It is in your dedication, submission to the church. It is in your receiving edification. So this one, she knows how to receive edification very well. It means that you can be corrected. It means that you can be built up. You can be nourished. Do we get it? Edification is nourishment and cherishment too. Do we get it? It's part of it. Edification is what? Nourishment. So if, we, if, you, if you are not finding yourself doing that, it means that you are not ready to paint that picture. So last week I gave us the view of if you want to give birth, right? Today is if you want to Marry. Because this is, you see, God walks through families like this because he himself gave birth to a family through Christ. So God walks through family. God is not working with one person. He walks through family. He gave Christ that many will come into glory. And that is why he says, in my father's house, in my father's family. So God walks through family. That is why we must understand God's order in these aspects. Hallelujah. So I'll just quickly connect this in the few minutes that we have. I'll connect it with one of the things I thought. So Pastor Corson has thought and said, you have to submit to the church because you cannot, if you don't submit to the church, you can't submit to any man, right? In fact, let me give us cancer. Don't, if you have people or you are a person that finds it that no one can correct you. If you are someone that you don't have anybody that can correct you, I beg you by the mercy of God, come and submit to the church. Because you know why? If no one can correct you, it means that you will be the Lord of wisdom and knowledge in your own life. It means that you can treat anybody anyhow and nobody will say this is wrong because you have built a wall of knowledge around yourself. But when there's a submission, what submission does is that it helps you to reevaluate all the things that you have done in the light of God's order. So if you, are, if you are actually in a relationship now and you're planning to get married, right? Okay? If the person is not submitted to anybody, you are in trouble. If the person is not submitted to the church, you are in big trouble. The advice is to quit it. There's nothing wrong about that. You have a heartbreak or heartburn or heart anything, and afterwards, you will be healed. It is better than having a whole lifetime of nobody able to talk to your husband or your wife. To correct them, to say, brother, what you are doing is wrong. So, because we are trying to paint the picture of Christ and the church, we must have this at the back of our mind. So, I just read it. I said, people know how to tag church as a place to find good wife, but they don't know the reason. They don't know the reason. They just know that church. Somehow, or if I come to church, I will find somebody. This is the reason. It's because you, you are not submitted to somebody outside. You are coming to pick somebody who is submitted on that church. So that the person will submit to you, yet you are submitted to nobody. It's dangerous. Is what? It's dangerous. Watch out for people who come to Acts, even if they come to church. They might not be serving in church. They might not be painting the picture. Because the person is seated here and comes here every Sunday does not mean that a person can do that. Ask us. We know. Ask the pastors. They know. Hallelujah. So my question is to you. Where are you? Are you outside the church? Or are you part of the body of Christ? You Are you outside the church? Or are you part of the body of Christ? Do you submit to the body of Christ? Do you serve in church? Do you give your all? Do you receive correction? Do you take edification? This also brings us to a teaching that Pastor Chidi has taught. Imitating God. Imitating what? God. He taught us about imitating God. This is one way to imitate God. Marriage is also a way to imitate God. Do we get it? Marriage is a way to do what? To imitate God. Actually, verse 4. Verse 1 of chapter 5 started with that. That is the foundation of this chapter, right? We can say that's the foundation of this chapter. Verse 1 of chapter 5, that ended with the picture of Christ and the church, started with imitating God. So, marriage is a way to imitate God. So, for anybody who doesn't want to get married, I'm training back to you so you don't want to imitate God in that aspect of Christ and church. <laughs> Anyways, please. Let it be that in our marriage we do what we imitate God. Submit to the leadership of the church. Hebrews 13 verse 17. Obey those who rule over you and be submissive. For they watch out for your souls as those who must give accounts. Let them do so with joy. Not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. That would be what? Unprofitable for you. So here he's actually talking about those he has given to the church, right? The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastoring teachers. All these are the people that Christ himself had given to the church. Okay? All these are that Christ has given to the church. So we submit to them, and in submitting to them, we submit to church, and by that, we have submitted to who? To Christ. So the duty of correcting things in church, right, lies in the leadership of what? Let's say together, the duty of correcting things in church lies in the leadership of what? Of the church. The leadership, I mean, the, the, the correct things in church. So you can be assured that you are being led now to be led. It means to follow, right? So when things are happening, we we'll put ourselves in order. So this is where I'm going to stop today. That in all our doing, in all our desire to be in relationship and to be married, is a picture of what God is doing on earth. Now, someone will ask me a question, which is a question that is the last question, right? Just the last question. That what about those that don't know Christ, but they get married, right? And what happens to them? And they're married, is fine, right? Have you seen people like that before? They're not in Christ. Now, what is that? The two questions that you have to ask is, on what principle... Are they working? Just two questions, right? On what principle are they working? And is there agreement between these two people? So two people can come together. It's like an organization too. They can come together and bring out a memorandum of association and a memorandum, and they can set it by themselves. And by their agreement, that will work. It doesn't mean it's painting the picture of Christ and the church. No. Do we get that? So that you don't go home and say that an unbeliever is no. When you get into such homes, the principles are not what you will find in the scriptures because they didn't found it on the scriptures. So it will be difficult. They will struggle to imitate God because they don't carry the identity. However, they will follow the memorandum of words of their association. Do we get it? That is why when people divorce, you hear incompatible differences or I don't know what they call it. I actually don't know what they call it. Unreconcilable differences. It's because that that memorandum, nobody is accepting to it. But if two people who accept this memorandum of God come together, there's always a place, a meeting point. Hallelujah. So this is the message today. That we live from the spiritual into the physical. In all that we do can we just close our eyes and just begin to give things can you say thank you jesus for opening my eyes